Welcome back to another episode of the Electric Election Road Trip and Podcast. I am your host, president and founder of the Conservation Coalition, Benji Backer, and I am joined by Auden Schendler, the vice president of sustainability for the Aspen Skiing Company. Can you tell us where we are and what you do? Yeah, well, you're in Basalt, Colorado. This is the Roaring Fork River, so this is the Roaring Fork Valley. Aspen's that way. Glenwood Springs and Grand Junction is that way. And I'm the sustainability guy, so we work on both reducing the impact of the company, but then also pushing on policy. And we're very focused on climate change. We're doing building and vehicle electrification, all kinds of things. Well, one of the main questions that people are going to ask from the get-go is why would a, a ski company or you know a ski resort company lean so heavily into climate action and sustainability? What's the impact of the work that you guys are doing? Yeah. Well, first, the reason we're doing it is on the ground, we've measured a month less winter than 50 years ago. And the science is very clear. So this is something we should be working on. And then the impact is how do you push on, how do you push on state policy? How do you push on federal policy? How do you use the industry as a whole, the outdoor industry, which is huge as a lever to drive change? Well, and that's such an important industry to make a change for because the people who are the skiing community and the hiking community and just everything outdoors, they love the environment and they want to protect it. Where do you see the, the, the ski community and the outdoor community playing a role in these conversations from pushing Aspen Snowmass to do more on these issues? Well, first, you know, the outdoor community, they all see themselves as environmentalists, right? But, but they didn't become hikers or climbers or backpackers to go to Washington and lobby, right? Mm. They All the way back to Thoreau, they're about kind of escaping society. Mm. So our vision, working with groups like Protect Our Winners, is get those people mobilized, because they do care. Um, yeah, so I mean, those people do care and they, and they want to make a change, but a lot of them, to your point, the outdoors is their escape. You know, for people who are, don't want to politicize the issue or don't want to become political with the thing that they are escaping politics from, why is it so important that they lean in and how can they balance those two things? Well, one, from a, a business perspective, things have changed. It used to be that you'd want to buy your shoe or go ski at your ski resort and that was it. But the modern consumer wants meaning along with what they're doing. They, they don't fall in love with a brand that doesn't stand for anything. So they want to be part of good projects. They want to be part of causes greater than themselves. So the, the, that's the vision. And then the, the change opportunity is huge because you have this giant community. Well, and that giant community has such an important power with their dollars as well as with their votes and their political activism. You've really leaned into the topic of greenwashing. And for those who are watching or listening to this and don't know what that is, greenwashing is really simplistically a company saying that they're doing something green and then not doing it or saying that they're doing something green and actually doesn't make an impact. Right. How can consumers be more aware of that? Because it is so difficult. You know, you see a company pledge to do something or they say they're doing something. It's not easy to follow up, especially as a consumer when you're buying products from so many different parts of you know, the portfolio. How, how can consumers be more aware of what companies are actually doing and you know, keep greenwashing from happening? Yeah, so, so greenwashing is environmental tokenism. You know, hey, we're green, I, and then we're green because I gave $5,000 to that nonprofit, and that's all we've mm. done. So the, what I tell consumers to do is ask the question, is it enough? Mm. And... Look, 
people understand that we have a global climate crisis. Um, so when a corporation takes an action, is that enough? An example would be, hey, we're a business. We changed out all our light bulbs. Is that enough to solve climate? No. What are you doing, business that changed your light bulbs, on a bigger scale? Has your CEO ever gone to Washington and talked to elected officials about policy solutions? Has your CEO ever spoken publicly about this issue? If the answer is no, you're not a green company. Well, Aspen Skiing Company is one company that's leading the charge on this. Talk about some of the impacts that you guys have made and why that's so important for the global conversation around climate. Yeah, well, you know, we work in two different ways. One, we try to do demonstration projects other people can follow. And then we also try to push on systems change. So I'll give you an example of each. Um, we've got a new employee housing building going up, four stories, all electric hmm. and this is what society has to do so that you're not burning natural gas to heat buildings all electric electric chargers nearby on mass transit that's hmm. an example now other people can model that because it hasn't really been done in cold climates as much um, a second example would be years ago we said we got to cut our carbon footprint and we changed our light bulbs and it didn't do anything and we looked at the utility and it turned out the utility had just purchased a coal plant. Mm. So we said, oh, we got to change the board of the utility. So we spent 15 years of basically community organizing and changed the board. That changed the CEO. And now the utility is headed toward 100% renewable power. Wow, that's incredible. And it also speaks to the power of how you as a company worked with communities around you know, your company to make that happen. And it it also didn't happen overnight, right? It took 15 years right. to make that happen. People often talk about climate as this issue of we need to have this silver bullet solution right now. And I was even on a radio interview today that was like, well, these solutions aren't going to solve climate change overnight. Do you think that we can solve climate change overnight or do you think we need to have more of this incremental but impatient uh, side of policy? Yeah, I mean, Bill McKibben has this great line. He says, there are no silver bullets on climate. There's only silver buckshot. Mm. And like all, like all things in business or in societal change, it's hard. It's going to take a while. But I think the important thing to know is all the technology and policy tools we need are on the shelf today. So all we really need is the political will. And if we start doing this, all the data from conservative economists says it's cheaper to do something than to not do something. So if we can get moving, we're gonna see jobs, we're gonna help people who lost jobs in fossil fuel get new meaningful, reasonably paying jobs. We're going to build out infrastructure that's a bipartisan issue. We're gonna you know, fix buildings. We're gonna change the, the quality of the air and reduce pollution. I mean, it's this beautiful story. Right, and, and that's something that Protect Our Winters is working on all the time. And so you obviously wear your hat you know, as part of the Aspen Skiing Company, but you also serve on the board of uh, Protect Our Winters. Can you tell us what that is and also what Protect Our Winters is doing this year and beyond to try to change that political culture that you've been alluding to? Yeah, so Protect Our, I'm on the board of Protect Our Winters and I also work for Aspen Skiing Company. Protect Our Winters, think of them as the NRA, but for climate from the outdoor industry. What's interesting is, is the NRA, like, they own their issue in Washington, um, but they're about 5 million people. REI alone, has 17 million members. 
So think of the power. And if right. you're if you know outdoor industry people, what are they? They're borderline crazy with energy and enthusiasm. They're often wealthy. Some are famous and influential, and they all consider themselves environmentalists. Well, and they span from all political spectrums. They're across the spectrum because they all care about, you know, this is like the ultimate thing, bipartisan issue, which is we care about a beautiful, having a beautiful world in which to recreate. So Protect Our Winners is trying to mobilize that community as a, as a political force in support of climate action. Well, when you're in a beautiful place like this, you can't help but want to protect it. But there are a lot of people who aren't prioritizing this issue, maybe oftentimes in the right of center community. For those who are REI members or, you know, go, go skiing at Aspen every winter and lean right of center, what is the importance of having kind of that community back at the table? It is absolutely essential because one, addressing climate change which is fundamentally a pollution issue, pricing of pollution is a conservative idea, right? We should protect the environment. We shouldn't do things that cost more down the line, right? William Nordhaus, the, the Nobel Prize winning economist at Yale has said, look, it's just gonna cost more if you do nothing. So do basic cost benefit analysis. So you need the right, um, you need conservatives in there. They have a bunch of good ideas and their mechanisms that appeal to them. This whole thing has gotten so politicized, um, but there, there, there's some ways out that I think um, could be incredibly rewarding for us as, as Americans, because we'd, we'd go back to this era of, hey, we don't always agree, but let's work together on this problem. Well, and for us at the Conservation Coalition, that's what we're focused on doing, is kind of re-engaging those communities that haven't been a part of the conversation. That's conservative people, that's also people in the agricultural community, people in the coastal communities, rural communities in general, regardless of political affiliation. And what we've learned as we've gone across the country is that people in rural communities oftentimes feel very left behind when it comes to climate change and the environment. They feel like somebody in New York City is always telling them what to do in the middle of South Dakota. And there are going to be a lot of people who say, oh, well, those, you know, wealthy people in Aspen trying to, you know, spread this climate change message to me in, in a rural state, why, why, why would I listen to them? You know, what would you tell the people in those states about why they should be following what Aspen is doing, but also how they can make the change in their communities for what's best in their communities? You know, I think we're, we're in a period of economic transition and industrial transition. Look, coal plants are going away. Coal mines are going away. But the people who work there have kids just like I do. They, they care about their community just like I do. So there really is no choice but to say, what's next? And I think what, what our role is, is to say, what's next isn't gonna be a solar installer job that pays you 15 bucks an hour. You know, you can't go to a highly paid coal miner and say, go install solar panels. What you can do is support policy that could use the skills they have to do the things we need to do. And a good example would be grid, the improvement of the utility grid. It takes, you know, technical skills, it's, it's high paid work, um, and we need to do it in a, in a broad way. So I think the vision is help these communities find ways to thrive into the future. For agriculture, as an example, the question isn't, the point isn't, hey, stop that. 
It's what do you want to do? How can we help you make more money with wind turbines, with carbon sequestration, mm. um, with better management practices? Like, let's partner on this. Well, what's really fascinating about what you just mentioned is that we toured an agricultural uh, facility, a dairy farm actually in, in Wisconsin, that was taking the methane from the cows and turning it into uh, renewable natural gas and compost. Right. And so that is actually adding an economic layer for these farmers who are getting an extra bonus from the waste being right. taken from them. Right. And the way that that came to be was because this company tried to listen to what the farmers were dealing with, the struggles they had, and what could make their lives easier. And they came up with a solution where it was literally taking, you know, crap and turning it into money and power for other, you know, energy power for other people across the country. Right. And there are so many of those solutions that exist across the country, but yet we're still talking a lot about kind of how we transition from fossil fuels. And if we transition from fossil fuels, you know, it's being brought up in every political debate, uh, you know, in the 21st century. If we are transitioning to cleaner energy sources, how do we make it accessible for low-income communities that, you know, can't afford to purchase an electric car right now or can't, uh, you know, afford to transition to solar energy when it's not going to save them until year 12? How can we get to a point where low-income communities and even middle-class communities can start to afford these sorts of things and so that it's more mainstream? Right. Well, first, and this is the role of Aspen, the wealthier communities have to do the stuff first, right? Because we can afford it. We can afford to make mistakes and then we can tell those stories. So we push that technology forward and then it becomes more affordable in the lower income communities. Now, we're going to have to help those communities um, using progressive tax policies or um, incentives and so forth. But you're going to get support in that from from business that's changing what it manufactures and providing products and so forth. So it's a, it's a big and it's an important question, but the obligation is initially on the wealthier communities to take the lead. Well, you're an electric car driver and we drove here in an electric car and we found that it's very difficult to drive an electric car when it's super, super cold. And the lack of infrastructure, it can also be very frustrating. Yeah. But you're doing something about that just a few miles away. Can you tell us about that? Um, what are you talking about? The electric char car chargers at the oh, okay. hotels. Yeah. So think about this valley. It's a ski destination. You can drive here, take a bus here, or fly here. But when you arrive, you can arrive at, say, the Limelight Hotel in Aspen, get shuttled to your hotel in an electric vehicle. Um, or if you drove from Denver, park in the basement and charge. We've got tons of... This valley probably has 50 EV chargers. And then once you're in town, you don't need a car. You just take the bus from, you know, from resort to resort. We have four ski resorts here. So that's a model for it working. And by the way, we don't want a bunch of cars here because it'd be too crowded. Right. Well, and I think what's really fascinating about the work that you guys are doing is that you're not just investing in the mountain itself. You're not just saying we're going to be zero waste in the mountain. We're going to use clean power on the mountain. You're also helping all the communities surrounding the mountains to invest in the infrastructure or improvements to, uh, to enhance clean energy, to lower energy costs, to build sustainable housing. What would you say to other ski resort and ski resort companies about investing in these sorts of solutions past their mountain? How can they take the work of Aspen Skiing Company and scale it within their own communities? I think a lot of the, you know, first, a lot of the 
the actions you take benefit your business and the community and help your employees and help the broader economy. So if we've built affordable housing, you know, a lot of people looked at it like, ah, oh, it's just SkiCo housing. Well, most people in this town are employed by the SkiCo, right? So it's housing for you. And it, if your housing, housing is in Aspen, you don't have to commute. So there's less traffic on the road and so forth. So one, this is a mutually beneficial effort. And two, you've got to partner with different entities. So one of our one of our biggest partners is the utility, which people don't think mm. about. So there's a, there's a fast charger over there that was put into basalt by the utility. Um, they partners with, with us on our electric building, uh, on our methane capture plant. Um, and so get these partnerships going and recognize the, the broad value they bring. Well, that public-private partnership and private-private and public-public partnerships, just partnerships in general, we've seen the strength of them over the course of this trip. You can't do it alone. You can't make these meaningful sustainability impacts just with elected officials or just with companies or just with activists or just with staff. You need them all to be a part of that equation. And I think too often in the environmental community, it's boiled down to you know, just the elected officials are going to answer all of this at the DC level. And I think that's where a lot of the frustration comes from in these communities. You, know, you firsthand have seen that that's not the case, that you are going to need the federal government to act. You guys are working on that with, you know, in your own personal capacity with Protect Our Winters, and I'm sure the Aspen Skiing Company is advocating for it as well. But you also are taking it upon yourselves to do something here and now. And you're not doing it alone because you know you can't do it alone. You also have thousands and, and probably over time millions of people who visit your resorts that are you know, enthusiastic about taking action on this. When someone comes to Aspen Ski Resorts and set, you know, sees how inspiring and, you know, just beautiful this place is, what can they do to take that next step of action and support the work that you guys are doing? Well, I always steer them toward protectourwinters.org because there's a, basically an activist roadmap on that website. So if they get on that website and scroll around, you'll see different things you can do. But, but the most important thing we tell our guests is it's not enough to drive your Prius and change your light bulbs and recycle your cans. You have to be a citizen. Mm. And being a citizen means not just voting. Look, everyone should vote. Um, but it means participating in local government. It means caring about your neighbors. It means participating it means it means thinking about the world beyond just me you know i think americans are making decisions based on well how's that if i vote for that candidate my taxes will go down how about making a decision based on what's good for society and community that that's gratifying and it makes you know the, the climate opportunity is this chance to be part of something greater than ourselves and so that's what we're asking we're asking of people is be part of this great ex democracy experiment in which you are expected to participate. People have kind of dropped out. They need to run for town council. They need to be on the planning and zoning board. They need to go um, you know, on highway cleanup programs and meet their neighbor. Well, and you haven't even mentioned it yet, but that's something that you've done as well in your own personal capacity on top of everything that you've talked about so far. And that mentality has been lost in our society where we aren't even doing the bare minimum to start taking action on climate as individuals because we're so focused on 
talking big and, and demanding action maybe on social media or even attending a protest, but then we, we don't follow it up with the action. You know, we don't run right. for those local offices. We don't even know who our local elected officials are. Right. We, you know, we, we don't know what companies are actually doing with their dollars when it comes to sustainability. We aren't actually going out there and petitioning our elected officials in a respectful way, writing them letters, meeting with them, or challenging them if, if they haven't done the right thing. And we didn't really think about this before we started on the road trip, but it's this mentality of action over activism. You need activism, but you also need action. And activism only gets you so far. Talking about it only gets you so far. It's the same thing in the business community. Talking about doing something right on sustainability and greenwashing is, is you know, maybe helps change the culture a little bit, but it doesn't really do anything. You, you've got to take it to that next level and actually start implementing the change you want to see. And you have to broaden the scope of your horizon to pass yourself. And that kind of action-oriented climate movement that I think we're building and so many others are starting to do as well is going to be the key to unlocking it. Protect Our Winters is also doing that on a massive, massive scale. And you know, as one of my final questions before we wrap up, one of the things you mentioned earlier was the inability to get people from the right of center involved in that campaign, and, and, but how important it is to do that. For an organization like ours, which often represents people who are right of center, why is it so important that they get involved with Protect Our Winters specifically, and how can they? Well, one is, look, we want your ideas. We're not masters of the universe with all the solutions. We need a diversity of thought. And what the, the new right, let's call it, can and should be doing is saying, look, climate change is a problem, and there are fixes. Let's talk about how to do this in ways that don't damage and, and actually bolster the economy. So we need that in protecting workers, but we also don't want to, you know, we want to go arm in arm down the road on this issue. And we want to do it in a way uh, that is broadly good for society. So for that, we need a diversity of viewpoints. Well, and I think our organization can help unlock that with Protect Our Winters, and I'm hopeful that- We're in, we're in. <laughs> we're in, dude. all right. Well, that's amazing because we, we need you guys and you need us to be successful. We all are one community of people who love the outdoors. And if we're not trying to figure out how to collaborate, whether that's potentially doing a summit with important decision makers on both sides that we've briefly talked about, or just getting our activists involved with Protect Our Winters and figuring out how to tie that cross-partisan idea uh, into the conversation, we've gotta be doing those things. And I think that not only can we to tell the story of Aspen Skiing Company, which has done far more than you've even bragged about because there's just so much to brag about when it comes to Aspen Skiing, but it's also this broader movement to protect our winters. I want our organization to be a part of that change and I want to thank you for leading that effort and you know, for having a national presence for taking action on climate in an act, like a real productive way, not just talking about it. You're doing everything you can in the Aspen part of this country that everyone knows and loves to solve climate change. And that's just incredibly inspiring. So thank you. Well, thank you. And, and uh, you know, as, as we like to say, we'll see you in the trenches. We will see you in the trenches together. Arm in arm, as you mentioned, and, and, and can't wait to work with Protect Our Winters and you going forward. To our viewers, this is yet another episode of the Electric Election Road Trip. Can't wait to see you next time and talk to you soon.